This episode of TGC Podcast is brought to you by Crossway. Do you long to understand the Bible in a deeper way? The ESV Study Bible was created by a diverse team of leading Bible scholars and teachers and features a wide array of study tools, including extensive study notes, topical theology articles, Bible character profiles, and more, making it a valuable resource for serious readers, students, and teachers of God's Word. Pick up a copy of the ESV Study Bible wherever Bibles are sold or visit crossway.org plus to find out how you can get 30% off. This episode of TGC Podcast is brought to you by Crossway. Navigating the Christian life in a secular world will inevitably stir questions in the lives of thoughtful believers. In Ask Pastor John, Tony Ranke summarizes and organizes 10 years of the most insightful and popular episodes of the Ask Pastor John podcast, allowing readers to quickly and systematically access Piper's insights on hundreds of topics, including Bible reading, dating, social media, mental health, and more. Pick up a copy of Ask Pastor John wherever books are sold or visit crossway.org plus to find out how you can get 30% off. You're listening to the Gospel Coalition podcast, equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. On today's episode, we bring you a breakout session with Trip Lee called Incredibly Normal, The Shocking Truth About Who You Really Are. This message was originally delivered at the Gospel Coalition's 2019 National Conference in Indianapolis. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you, God, for your goodness to us, God. We thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, and we thank you for, for speaking to us in your word, not only about who you are, but who we are. Uh, Father, I pray you'd help us to hear from you, uh, to think well, to have good conversation. God, give us humble hearts to hear from you, God, and uh, give us grace not for this just to be uh, yeah, time to hear more uh, human thoughts and wisdom. God, help us to be able to hear from you. Um, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, uh, I want to tell y'all just a little bit about myself. Uh, my name is is Trip. Uh, that's my nickname. Uh, don't worry about my government name. That's not necessary <laughs> for you to know. Uh, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. That's where I currently live. I just moved back to Dallas about a year ago. Um, and uh, just so you know why, why I'm passionate to, to stand up here and talk about uh, these kinds of things. Um, I grew up in Dallas. Uh, Dallas is a wonderful place uh, filled with, um, you know, things like the Dallas Cowboys, which is a national treasure. And if you don't believe me, just Google America's team. Tell me what comes up. Your team doesn't come up. Mine does. Uh, <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. Grew up in Dallas. And Dallas um, is a super churchy place. And so that colored the way that I uh, began to understand who God was, what Christianity was from a young age, because, uh, I mean, it was just a very churchy place. Um, I remember when I was in like sixth grade um, was the first time that I heard somebody um, say that they were not a Christian. It was very confusing because everybody I knew said they were Christians. Um you know, so this kid, we was in uh, maybe history class or something, and he was like, oh, yeah, well, I'm not a Christian. My family's Buddhist. And it was the needle scratched and all the other kids just, <gasps> like, we didn't know these non-Christians were real. And um, 
So that just, you know, I knew people who said they were Christians who loved Jesus. And I knew people who said they were Christians who did not love Jesus or care much about him at all. And I knew people who said they were Christians who went to church every week and people who said they were Christians that never went to church. And I could go on and on. Everybody said they were Christians. So I was a little bit confused about what it meant to be a Christian. Uh, and when I was really young, I repeated a prayer after the children's pastor. Um, you know, I had to be five years old or something. And, you know, it was, uh, so, you know, after what we got done doing whatever kids do in church, uh, color pictures of animals on Noah's Ark. Um, and, you know, when I went, I, I don't remember how often me and my family would go, but um, we went enough that I had heard about Jesus um, a number of times. Not enough for me. I felt left out. I didn't know all the songs and the hand motions. Have I didn't know everything that they were doing. Um, all the hand motions that kids tend to do when they sing songs to Jesus. So we, but when we got done with those things, you know, the children's pastor was like, hey, kids, do y'all want to go to heaven where you get to live forever and, um, and you uh, get a new body and any loved ones that have passed away, you'll get to see them again and you get to ride on the backs of cheetahs and you can probably teleport and... <laughs> Just unlimited supplies of cookies and Kool-Aid, and you can play one-on-one basketball with Jesus forever. <laughs> or do you want to go to hell where you'll burn forever? It's like, oh, my goodness. Uh, I like the first one. That sounded good. And so uh, I, it wasn't that ridiculous. This is how my five-year-old brain interpreted it. And uh, so I repeated this prayer, and they said, hey, you're, you're a Christian. Uh, I said it a few more times and make sure it worked. And um, in hindsight, I do not think I was a believer because I did not understand anything about who God was, how holy he was, the ways that I had sinned against him, uh, what it meant for Jesus to stand in my place, uh, what it meant for me to repent and believe. I hadn't understood any of that. Those words, um, even though I said them sincerely, hey, can you give me a paper towel? I just spilled my water on my iPad. Uh, If y'all want to just pray for me and intercede for me uh, right now. Try not to be distracted. Uh, you know, I, I repeated this prayer, and I, it, it meant nothing to me. Uh, they were empty words. Might as well have been reading a newspaper out loud. I assumed I was a Christian, though. And then when I was about 13 or 14, same church, um, I get uh, dragged there on a Sunday. There's a sign-up for some youth retreat. My mom's like, hey, there's a sign-up. I'm like, I'm not going to that. I'm not going to sign up for that. And then I looked over there, and there some cute girls. I'm like, I'm going to go sign up for that. And then I did. <laughs> Uh, I had bad motivation. God had better ones for getting me there. And it was a good youth pastor at this church. Um, Meaning we didn't just do fun stuff. He opened the Bible and he preached the gospel of Jesus. And as he preached the gospel, that stuff I hadn't understood about who God was, about who I was, about what Jesus had done, what it meant for me to repent and believe. uh, That stuff started to click and the Lord saved me from my sins. Um, And he gave me opportunities um, as, as I would learn stuff in the word, I wanted to help other people see what people had helped me to see. And so that's what I've tried to give my life to. Um, and it especially shaped the way that I began to think about who I was as a teenager. So I'm 14 years old and I'm uh, but the way that I see myself is starting to change drastically. Um, th- these questions about who we are are incredibly important. Um they shape what we do with our lives. They shape how we make decisions. They shape how disappointed we are about water on our iPads. Um, I think I got Apple Care. Um, yeah, good. Thank you, bro. Um, 
they shape so much of everything that we think and we see and we do. And so that's what I want us to talk about. Um, a few more other things about me. You hear me refer to my kids a lot. I have two kids. They're cuter than your kids. Uh, six-year-old son, four-year-old daughter. I have a wife, Jessica, been married for 10 years, almost 10 years. It'll be 10 years in May. Um, got married when I was eight. Uh, just playing. Uh, some people were concerned. Uh, yeah. So that's me, and this is why I'm passionate about talking about this issue of identity. Um, as we begin to think about this issue of identity, um, I, I just want to tell you about an interview I saw recently that I think kind of sums up uh, a little bit of why these questions are important and how we think about them. I saw this interview uh, with Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, and she was talking about, somebody asked her, what did you learn from all those years of doing that show? What did you learn from all those people you got to interview? You interviewed presidents, you interviewed musicians, you interviewed actors, you interviewed all kinds of people. And she said this, um, that after every single interview, no matter who it was, if it was somebody who nobody knew about, if it was Beyonce, if it was President Bush, that every single person after that interview would ask the exact same question of her. And the question that they would look at her and ask is, how did I do? Did I do okay? Now, you can understand someone doing that if they are somebody who doesn't do interviews often, but the president of the United States was asking Oprah, like, hey, did I do okay? Um, uh, and, and I found that really interesting because I don't think that question is unique uh, to interviews. And, and people who are being interviewed will do this all the time. Uh, it may be a game. It may be an interaction with somebody. Um, whatever we do, we'll always ask someone or we'll ask ourselves, how did I do? Um, and sometimes when we ask ourselves that, um, you know, we're trying to evaluate how worthy we are, how valuable we are. Um, the question that I think is behind that, how did I do question is, am I worthy? Do I matter? Right. Am I significant? Because we always want to know what I, how our performance was. We want to know what people think about it, but it's because we're trying to wonder, we're trying to ask the, uh, the question, am I worthy? Am I significant? And the problem is we often are looking in the wrong places to find that answer. Right. We're asking the wrong areas of our life for that. And if we look in the wrong places, then we'll always come up with distorted and wrong answers. So all of us want to know if we're worthy. All of us want to know if we're valuable. But if we if we ask our job performance or our personality type or our conversations, that question, am I worthy? Then we'll be deceived every time. So what I want us to do um, is I think it's a fine question to ask to try to figure out um, what our worth, what our value is rooted in. I just want us to ask the question in the right place. So that that's part of why I want to talk about identity and who we are. The right answer is yes, that we matter, but it has nothing to do with how you perform on any given day or any given week, which is hard for us to grasp, isn't it? You know, when you um, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day, when I end the day and I feel like I got a lot done, I feel wonderful about myself. Right. There's nothing that anyone can do to make me not feel good about myself. If I go through a day and I don't get a lot done. You know, I just heap all kinds of shame and guilt on myself. Now, we base so much of it in, in what we what we do. So I, I want to look at uh, Psalm 139. To, to help us think about this a little bit. And here's what we do. We'll, we'll start looking at Psalm 139 and we'll think about how we get to figure out who we are. We'll look at Psalm 8 a little bit, too, and, and we'll land at um, one way I want us to think about who we are. Any questions as, as, as we keep moving? All right. 
Um, I will say this as you turn. Who am I is a weird question to ask. And it's a weird question to ask because you, we feel like we should be the experts on who we are, right? So I don't know if you've thought about how ironic it is that I've never met any of you. And we're doing this uh, workshop and I'm about to try to tell you who you are. That's a little strange. Because we feel like we should be the experts on who we are. Um, you know, when someone meets you, they begin to ask you questions about yourself and they don't try to they don't try to challenge it either. Right. Because, yeah, you know who you are. You know what your name is. You know who your family is. You know where you've been. Yeah, You know all of these things. Uh, Psalm 139, I think, is going to give us a little little insight. Into learning about who we are. From someone other than ourselves, Psalm 139, starting at verse 13. God's word says this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's God's word. Um, when I was when I was a kid, my dad used to say um, something to me that would drive me crazy. He would just he would always say, "Boy, I know you better than you know yourself." That drove me crazy because it didn't matter what I said. I could say, "Dad, I don't like meatloaf." He'd be like, "You do like meatloaf, and you're gonna enjoy." It. I was like, "What?" I know you better than you know yourself, right? Or you know, Dad, I know I'm, I'm not too tired to drive. You are too tired to drive. You're gonna crash and die. You're not driving. I'm like, how do you know? I know you better than you know yourself. And he would always say this, and it would drive me crazy. Um, and, you know, I, I have to admit, he probably did because he was old. He was around when TVs were invented, and I wasn't, right? He had a little advantage over me. Um, but in the same way, um, uh, the, the reason that my dad would say that is because there'd be some times when I would be confused when I didn't really understand uh, who I was. I would uh, act like I was in control. I would act like I was in charge. I would think that I knew a lot of stuff that I didn't. And my dad would say that in order to kind of put me back in my place. Um, and, and here's exactly what God is doing in this text. He wants us to understand who we are and the fact that he knows us better than we know ourselves. My dad, the reason he knew me better than myself is because I was a kid and he was an adult and he had wisdom and he had knowledge that I didn't have. God knows us better than we know ourselves. Because, of course, he is eternal. Uh, not only that, but he created us. Right. So a difficult thought is this, that you don't know yourself as well as you think you do. One of the ways I know that is we misread our motives in situations. Don't we? Uh, sometimes we feel certain. You know what? If I go to this place, I know I won't be tempted to do ABC. And then we still are, even though we said we wouldn't. Or we tell ourselves I'm never going to do that again. And we still do. Or we tell ourselves, I'm going to just watch one more episode, then I'm going to go to sleep. Then, you know what I'm saying, you know what happens. Some of y'all are tired right now because that happened. Something that happens all the time. And um, we, we just don't know ourselves uh, perfectly. And so God wants to put us back in our place. Um, God does know us better than we know ourselves. This whole Psalm, Psalm 139, is about how God knows everything. God knows absolutely everything, especially about us, right? The word for uh, all knowledge, omniscient. He has all the knowledge. And one of the first lessons we're taught in our whole life is that we don't know everything, right? Uh, I have to constantly remind my son, don't act like a know-it-all and nobody will like you. 
Um, and he needs to know that. Well, well there's one uh, being in the history of the universe who it's OK to act like a know it all because he actually knows it all. And that's God himself. Right. So it is not uh, it's not strange. It's not arrogant. It's not annoying for God to act like he knows everything because God actually does know everything. Um, and that includes us. He knows us perfectly better than we know ourselves. There's nothing that we could tell God about ourselves that he didn't already know. There's nothing that we uh, could say or do that would surprise God as if he didn't know anything about us. God knows everything. Right. Um, and so what we see, one, uh, one of the reasons we can trust God is because we were made by him. I read verse 13 again, for you were created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your work's so wonderful. I know that full well. One of the most basic truths about the universe and us is that we were made by God. Um, and what does that have to do with God's knowledge of you? Um, let's say you found an iPhone on the ground. Well, let, let's say this. Um, let's say you just go back to 1985. So let's say somehow an iPhone X made it to 1985 and someone just found it on the ground. And they picked it up. What do you think they would think that was? A magic mirror? They'd be like, man, this mirror is terrible. Can't see nothing. Right? They wouldn't know what to do with it. Um, and how would they go about trying to figure out what it is and what it does? They could, they could just try some stuff out. Maybe they treat it like a mirror. Maybe they treat it like a coaster. Uh, maybe they, you know, there's a lot of stuff that would happen um, that would not even closely resemble what it's actually for. Right. Uh, and in the same way, we, we think we can just kind of arrive at ideas about what human beings are, who we are, what we're supposed to do just by trying some stuff out. And we may land on some stuff that's true and it's good. But if we really wanted to know what this iPhone is, we would probably ask the person who made it. What did you made it, make it for? What does it do? Tell me its capabilities. Tell me how it works. And of course, the one who's created us is God himself, as it says in this text. So if we really want to know who we are, the place we want to start is with the one who made us, right? So as opposed to taking the phone, shaking it, looking it around, uh, looking around at it, we should ask the one who made it. Time and time again, we come up with bad answers about who we are when God uh, has already told us clearly. But it's not just that he made us, it's also how he made us. Verse 13 says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Have you ever seen somebody knitting before? Um, that is not something that's thrown together. This is probably why you don't see young people knitting. Just don't have the patience for that. Right? This is something that is very intricate. It takes a lot of time. Maybe your grandmother gave you like a knitted sweater or something. Right? And, you know, just maybe some, a breeze got through some of the holes, but it was a thought that counted. Because it took a lot of time and it was very carefully planned, right? Knitting is something that, that takes a while. You know, I have, I have a sweater that's, that's knitted and there are just thousands of places, it seems like, on the sweater where different pieces of fabric meet each other and it's really closely intertwined. And you could tell that it took a lot of time and thought and care. And this is how God talks about creating us. That God didn't just throw us together in a haphazard way, but that God knit us together. Right. That he was thoughtful in the way that he made us. He says, verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. He's saying God did a good job when he made us. Right. He's saying, I've seen your work, God. You do wonderful things. Your works are wonderful. And I acknowledge that I'm one of your works. 
Right. So to say we have fearfully made, that means that God did it with an amount of reverence and awe when he made us. And he says, I'm one of your wonderful works. David is in a, an appreciative of the things that God has made. So think about this. Um, I want you to just think about who your favorite musician or your favorite artist is. And I know many of you are thinking Triple E. Great. Uh, now, nah. but you're just thinking somebody that you really love. So, you know, one person for me, Stevie Wonder, right? And I think Stevie Wonder is amazing. So this would be like um, if I loved Stevie Wonder's music, I loved all his albums. I was blown away by all the stuff he had written and produced and instruments he plays and all of that. Um, and then I find out that Stevie Wonder knows who I am. That I'm very significant to him. Like, let's say I found out he liked my music and he loved my music and he was watching my career from afar. I would feel like I could retire. I'm like, I made it. I have nothing left to accomplish. Stevie Wonder knows who I am. Well, this is kind of like what's happening with David here. So not only is he saying, God, you're my favorite artist. Your works are incredible. He's also saying, I figured out that I am one of your masterpieces. I'm one of your works. So when I look at a zebra and I see this incredible black and white striped horse with fringes, and I think, man, somebody creative made that. And when I see mountain ranges and I think, man, somebody creative made that. I can also look at myself and say, man, that same genius creator made me. And not only that, he didn't just make me, but he knows me. He knows who I am. Right. He knows us personally. His favorite artist is the one who not only made him, but who knows him. And the fact that we're fearfully and wonderfully made tells us that everything about us is on purpose. Right. That your brown eyes or your blue eyes are on purpose or your dark hair or your light hair is on purpose. or you being tall or you being short is on purpose. All of it is on purpose. And here's what we do. Sometimes we look at these features of ourselves that we don't like. Um, and, and when we think like that, we, we think that we're only um, we think that at the most, maybe we're not being fair to ourselves. But what we're really saying is, God, I know you said you fearfully and wonderfully made me, but I don't think you did a great job. Um, when he's fearfully and wonderfully made us and it's on purpose and his works are wonderful. Question for y'all, what are some of the things that, that have us in that place sometimes where we, uh, where we don't appreciate ourselves as fearfully and wonderfully made by God? What are, the, what are some of the things in our lives that can make us feel that way? Comparison, good. Sin, rejection. Anybody else? Health? Yeah. Identity? Yeah. Birthplace? Yeah, there are all these things that can pop up in our lives, things that are genuinely difficult or things that can be genuinely discouraging. But none of those things cancel out this truth that we're fearfully and wonderfully made and that God makes masterpieces. Now, of course, sin has come into the world. And so maybe we have health issues. Maybe, you know, we have sinful hearts that make us want to compare ourselves to other people. Uh, but we want to guard ourselves against making that uh, have us think too lowly of ourselves, thinking too little of ourselves. Uh, because we have inherent dignity because we're made by God and we're made in the image of God. So it's not just that you're amazing in itself. It's that you are made in the image of God and we're known by him. Verse 15 says, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, he's saying, God, you were watching me that whole time. Uh, when, when me and my wife, my wife was pregnant with uh, our first uh, child. Um, 
we found out she was pregnant on a Sunday, Sunday morning. We were very excited. Uh, we had been trying for a while and we'd been praying and the Lord, um, it's, it's, you know, the pregnancy test was positive. So we were super excited. Um, and then we went to uh, the doctor on Tuesday, quickest appointment we could get, just to make sure she was pregnant. And on that day, we heard our son's heartbeat. Found out on Sunday. Go to Dr. Tuesday. We, we can already hear his heartbeat. And then we go through this journey, through this pregnancy. We, got, we had this little app that would tell us, you know, what's happening developmentally. What, and every stage is like, today your baby is the size of a quarter. It's like, that's weird. <laughs> but all right. Today your child is the size of an apple, you know. Um, all of these different things that are happening size-wise, and we're imagining what they're like, and it's kind of hard to really know they're really there, especially for me, because I don't have any connection. I don't feel them growing or anything. Uh, so, you know. Um, but here's what's happening. That whole time, while we don't see them, while we don't know exactly what they're going to look like, while we don't know exactly how development's going, and we're kind of trusting in an app and this grainy sonogram footage, which if you said you can make your baby out in a sonogram, you lying. Um, God was watching my son. God was knitting him together. God cared about every hair on his head. Now, what does that tell you about us? That not only are we made by God, but we're known by God, we're valued by God. And here's a weird thing. Despite that, we still go other places trying to ask, how did I do? How am I doing to arrive at some kind of value? We're going to other people for affirmation as if God himself hasn't affirmed us, as if God himself didn't knit us. You know, there's some paintings sometimes that someone will have uh, in their house and it's worth nothing. And then someone discovers that it was painted by Leonardo da Vinci. All of a sudden, that painting is worth a whole lot more because of who crafted it. Right. So we can look at ourselves and think, man, maybe my worth and value isn't this or that. But when we remember that we are made and known by God. It should change that completely. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Right. That brings him comfort that God not only made him and saw him and knew him, but knows him now. And I want to stop right there and see if anybody has any questions. In the back. And can you tell me your name when you ask your question? Hey, Joe. Yeah, um, it's a good question. I think it's helpful to start here. Um, because, of course, there's some very unique things about that, uh, that change about our identity when we believe in Jesus, right? And we'll often talk about our identity being in Christ. Uh, people don't know Jesus. They're not in Christ. So they're not a new creation, and they're not forgiven of their sins, and the things that we think about about our new identity. Um, but the starting place for who all of us are is either made in the image of God, right? Um, and there's evidence of that all throughout creation. This is why even the worst of people, you still see little things that look like the fingerprint of God in their life. So sometimes people will be confused, um, like people who've done terrible things, like O.J. Simpson, who's done terrible things. And people will be confused, like, man, but he was also charming. 
How could he be both charming and warm and also a terrible person who murdered somebody? How could that exist in the same person? Because even in our brokenness and our sin, we are made in the image of God. People say, man, Hitler even painted. How could there be any ounce of anything that seemed like something good? He was made in the image of God. He was broken. He was far from God. He needed to be uh, uh, reconciled to God. He needed to be uh, freed from slavery to sin. But he's made in the image of God. Uh, And that fingerprint is on every single one of us. And I think that's important for us to see because otherwise, even the way that we treat our non-believing friends um, has to be shaped by the fact that we know they're made in the image of God. They do not have to believe in Jesus to be valuable and worthy. If we treat people who don't know Jesus uh, in an inferior way, then we we have bad theology. We don't just have bad ethics. We have bad theology. Our value is, is, is placed on us as we're made in the image of God. And so as we talk to non, non-believers about this, we want to say, you may not um, believe in Jesus, but I want you to know you have inherent value and worth in the God that created you. And here are some ways that we see this in people. Here's why it's so clear that we're made in the image of God. He, uh, and, and try to just point out to some, uh, some of those obvious things. Yeah. Yep. Just a high school student. Not just. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, yes. Thank you. Uh, he was just asking me in this day and age when people are more and more open to changing their identities. Um, how do we talk to people about our identities being given to us by God? Is that a that's faithful representation of your question? Makai? Um That's a tough question, man. Um, I think what I would want to do is I would want to walk with somebody and I would want to help them to see the beauty of who God created them to be. Um, I would want to help people to find significance and value um, because here's what can happen. We do this thing in our mind where we think I will feel valuable and worthy when this thing happens. And if I can just get to this, then I'll feel valuable and worthy. Then I'll feel better about myself. Then things will go well. And we just do this thing where we just set these mile markers all the time. And then we reach the mile mark and we realize we're not satisfied and we still have issues with our self-worth and we set a new one. So, and, and, you know, and just the average person's life, it may be, man, when I finish high school and I go to college, then I'm going to get to be on my own and then I'll feel good. Oh, but we just wait till I get married. Then I'll know I'm loved. I'll just wait till I have kids. Then these kids and I get to see myself and these kids. And we just keep moving the mile marker for when we're going to feel valuable and worthy. And I would want to take a step back and say, hey, right now, as you are, you have value and worth. You don't have to do anything or change anything to achieve it. It's just on you. I want people to know that the most important thing about you is not what's unique about you. It's something that's true of every single person that's ever existed. The most amazing thing about you is not even what's unique about you. I think this is part of why we... uh, why we have identity issues now is we want to find our value and worth and what's unique about us. Something we're better than somebody else at, something that sets us apart from others. And God is saying, your inherent value and worth uh, was stamped on you by me. And so I would want to walk with people and help them to see the beauty of who God made them to be 
and just kind of take it from there. I wouldn't want to start with, hey, stop trying to change your identity. God made you like this. I would want to start with trying to show them the beauty of who God made them to be. Yeah, let's keep moving. Um, I want to look at Psalm 8. Psalm 8. So incredibly normal, again, the title of this session, the reason, I, the reason I say incredibly normal is because we're made in the image of God, right? Fearfully and wonderfully made. We're incredible, but we're also normal, right? So you are incredible, made in the image of God. You are unique in all of creation. Also, it's like seven or eight billion of you walking the earth right now. You can do incredible things and be like God in ways that none of the rest of creation can. Also, after you die, it's going to come a time when nobody even remembers you. I don't know if you've read Ecclesiastes, but Solomon basically says, hey, stop trying. Everything sucks. But just fear God, though. Fear God. Keep his commandments. You'll be good. But everything is trash. All your money, somebody else is going to spend it. You know, you're going to work hard and nobody's going to remember anything you did. There's nothing new under the sun. Basically, this is all not great. But fear God and keep his commandments. Um, and if you think I'm lying or exaggerating, read Ecclesiastes. It's worse than what I just said. It sounds worse than that. Psalm 8. We're incredible, but we're also normal. Uh, David says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So verses one and two, he's basically just saying God is really big and God is really glorious. Right. You set you set your glory above the heavens. You've established strength even through babies and infants. Right. Verse three, he says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Right. So he's saying, man, God, you are big. You're amazing. He said, but when I start to look at the heavens and I look at the stars you put in place and, and the moon and the sky and all of that, he says, what is little old me? You ever watch something about space and just thought, man, I am really small. This is what David is doing right now. And he's saying, when I think about how amazing you are and the amazing things that you've done and you've created, who am I? Isaiah 40 says, we're grasshoppers in God's sight. Um, David is saying, you're really big, God. And because I see how big you are, that makes me feel really small. So he's saying, you're, you're responsible for all of that, yet you pay attention to us. That God is like the owner and the manager of everything that exists in the entire world. Yet he also cares enough to keep your heart beating and your lungs pumping oxygen through your body at every moment. Right? That right now, as you blink, God cares enough to keep you blinking so that your eyes don't dry out, right? That God knows all of your thoughts. That even now, God, through his Holy Spirit, is working his word into some of our hearts. That God cares about us, even though he's really big. And all of this is his, and yet he cares about us. If Y'all remember MTV Cribs? If there was an MTV Cribs episode for God, it would just be bird's eye view the whole earth. It's like, this is me right here. Everything is his. And yet he cares deeply about us. And so when we remember that, um, it helps us to keep ourselves in perspective because it's very hard to forget how small we are. 
right? When we do something good and someone praises us, we just feel like we are the man or the woman. Like if a kid like recognizes me in the airport, it's like, hey, Triple I love your music. And I'm like, people are like looking like, who's that? I'm like, yeah, it's me, Triple right? <laughs> and if I think about it for like three minutes, it's like, how foolish is that? Uh, did God put the stars in the sky and knows them by name, and I made a three-minute rap song, and I think I'm doing something. One of the ways we stay humble is to look at God often. Because when we look at ourselves in light of God, it's not that we should think lowly of ourselves, like we don't matter. We are incredible. He's made us that way. But compared to God, it's incredible that he would even give us the time of day. And so the thing that this does um, you know, when we think too highly of ourselves, um, we become entitled, right? Entitlement is the opposite of gratitude. I know we think, sometimes we think the opposite of gratitude is silence. So, like, if someone gives my kids something and they don't say thank you, I'm like, hey, slap my son in the back of the head, like, say thank you. He says thank you. But the, the opposite of gratitude isn't silence. It's a heart of entitlement that thinks that the things that we get are things that we just deserve just because we're us. But when we remember ourselves in light of who God really is, that, yeah, we're incredible. God made it. You know, we do all these amazing things that he created us to do. We're also really normal and we're small compared to him. It keeps us that with gratitude because we understand that everything we have, as James 1 says, is coming down uh, from the Father above, right? From the Father of lights, with whom there's no change or shifting shadow. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. When you know that you're needy and you're weak, you more appreciate the things that God gives us. And when we see ourselves in light of God, it helps us to do that. And so like if all the, this is part of why David is marveling. If all the living presidents just showed up at my house one day, it was like, hey, Trip, we just want to hang out. We just want to watch a little uh, Dallas Mavericks game with you. I would be blown away. I'd be like, man, y'all are important people. And y'all thought enough to come to my house and hang with me. And I would take a selfie that would get so many likes. And it would feel special because of their status of importance. Well, much greater than any president or any artist, any person we could think of, God knows us and watches us and cares about us. Um, one of the reasons I think sometimes we, we forget uh, that we're even valuable, though, is that we think um, the value comes from rarity. We think that something's only valuable or beautiful if it's rare. Right? That's why diamonds are valuable. This is why, you know, some of the Air Jordans I like are valuable. Because there's not a lot of them out there. Um, but when you look out your, your window and you look at a sunset or a sunrise, isn't it beautiful? Happens every single day in a lot of places all over the world. Sand on a beach is beautiful. There are millions of little grains of sand, but it's still beautiful. And it will take you millions of hours to get all the sand off you as well. That's why I don't like the beach, but it's beautiful. So this is, this is part of what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help us grab the, uh, the balance of seeing how incredible we are, but I say how normal we are. Because we want to root our incredibleness not in uh, a sense of pride, but in the fact that we are created by God. And we want to see our normalness in light of the fact that we see ourselves in light of God and who he is. And um, David goes on to say this, verse 5, and then we'll stop for questions. Yet you have made man a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. 
You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He says that God has given us dominion. So that God is the uppercase K king and we're like little lowercase kings and God has allowed us to rule on his behalf. One of the things that kings used to do in the ancient world, they used to put statues of themselves in their kingdoms so that you would walk by and you would see something, a likeness of them. And when you saw that likeness of them, you would remember who was in charge. Right. You'd be reminded to obey. You'd be reminded who the ruler was. And we are like those statues that God has placed all over creation. Not because we are the king of kings, but because we're lowercase kings, given dominion to manage and steward his world. And we're not meant to rule with our own authority. We're meant to be um, a representation of the one who actually rules. So part of the reason you're incredible is because you are a lowercase king or queen. You've been given dominion um, by God. You're incredible, but you're not the king himself. You're normal. So when we think too lowly of ourselves, we discredit God and we have the bar way too low. If we think too lowly of ourselves, we're not made in the image of God. We don't have incredible purpose that God has created us for. We're not made for his glory. Then the way we make decisions changes. Who cares what I do with my life? Who cares if I sin? Who cares if I uh, destroy my body? Right. It's just just me over here. But if we understand that we have dominion, that we've been made in the image of God, that we're here to represent him, that we're here to rule on his behalf, then that changes the way we make those decisions. It changes everything. The bar goes a little bit higher. When we have too high of a view of ourselves, we can sin just because we think we have all the autonomy in our lives. And then that can lead to a low view because when we uh, find all of our identity and some success we've had and we think so highly of ourselves, as soon as that success is gone, then our world crashes around us. You see this every day with people who get famous real quick and then they say one wrong thing. Everyone loved them yesterday and now everybody hates them deeply. And so we have to build our identity, our value, our worth, not on the stuff that we do, but on the fact that we were created by God, we're made in his image. I want to stop here. We have a few more minutes left, four more minutes left for questions uh, before we finish up. Yep. Hey, Ed. Can you ask the question one more time? Yeah, yeah. So, like, there's a part of it's human to say it's attractive, like, in the heart and soul. Um, you know, since you're loved by God and you're yeah. valuable, you know, there's sort of, you know, real, you know, joy and peace in that. Yeah. Uh, sure. Um, we could be, unba he, he was asking, is there a danger to 
um, thinking so much about God valuing us and God loving us uh, in a way where we focus more on God's love for us than God himself. And of course, of course, we can take any truth. Uh, most false teaching is just overemphasizing one part of scripture and ignoring something else. That's almost what false teaching always is. Pick anything. Prosperity teaching. Jesus purchased for us no more pain, no more suffering. Emphasize that uh, in a way that forgets about the fact that it's not right now. It's in all of eternity. Right. You can just emphasize it and ignore all the other stuff scripture says. So, of course, we can read this and we can think of God and only value God because he values us. But I want it to be the other way around. I want to say because we value God, we understand he's a creator, that all things are built on him, that he holds the universe together by the word of his power. The fact that he created us gives us value. And the fact that he loves us should be enough so we don't have to go around chasing it because he is who he is. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I think I think that's a good question. And we want to hold those those things in balance. But. And I think this is something that especially us reform types can do is we can feel really kind of it feels a little uh, strange to talk about our value and worth sometimes because we're like, but aren't I a worm who deserves nothing? <laughs> and again, that can happen when we're overemphasizing one thing to the to the detriment of something else. So, yes, we are depraved. Yes, we're in desperate need of salvation. But even when we're far from God, we have dignity and value and worth because we're made in the image of God. And what Jesus came to do was to restore that image of God in us, that it's been broken, that it's deformed. It's kind of like a broken mirror. Like you can see yourself, but your image is all looks all weird that we are made in the image of God to reflect him. We don't reflect him perfectly. We're broken. And what Jesus came to do is Jesus came, lived the perfect life. He paid for our sins and he's conforming us to the image of of God very slowly, and then we'll look like him perfectly one day. Yeah. Yep. Can you tell me your name? Hey, Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, I appreciate you bringing up the most difficult text in the Bible uh, <laughs> in the last few minutes. Uh, now, you know, the, the quick version is, I think in Romans 9, as God is talking about um, those who are his people and those who aren't, and he's talking about election. I think the way he's talking about uh, loving Jacob and hating Esau has to do with his, his purposes for them. I think it has to do with uh, more of an, uh, so I don't think it means uh, that there are some of us who don't have inherent dignity and value and worth, but I do think scripture teaches really clearly that God predestines. Well, what happens is that God does predestine some of us to know him and to walk with him and others of us not, and how that works with us making actual free choices is hard for us to work through sometimes, but we know both of them are true, and so instead of throwing one out, because, again, this is where false teaching comes from. We don't want to throw out the fact that we make real choices. We wear responsibilities. We're responsible to repent and believe. We also want to throw out the fact that God elects and predestines. Both of those are true. And so I'm going to continue to pray God would help me to understand how those two things work together. Yeah. Hey. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah, he's asking, how do we celebrate our uniqueness, even though that's not the thing that's most important about us? And I would say just that the most important thing about all of us is we are made in the image of God. Uh, For those of us who are believers, also that we are uh, adopted by God into his family. And there are other things that also matter. So that doesn't mean that other things don't matter and can't be celebrated. So I am a black man. That means that my blackness is part of Um, a particular reflection of the image of God. God made me like this on purpose because he wanted his image to be reflected in me. And my blackness, because God made me like this, can be celebrated and rejoiced in. It is not more important than the fact that I'm made in the image of God. It is not more important than the fact that I'm adopted by God. So we can celebrate those differences. We can learn about each other's differences so we can walk together well, but it doesn't have to be at the expense of realizing the most important thing about us is something we all have in common. And I think sometimes we hit a crossroads in some of these discussions because we think it has to be either or. Um, You know, it's neither slave nor free. Therefore, I don't need to acknowledge what's different about you than me. And that is just foolish and not in the Bible. But again, it's emphasizing one thing over against another instead of understanding how those things work together. I think it's a good place for us to close because that is that kind of hits at what I'm trying to the reason I'm saying incredibly normal is we are incredible made in the image of God, but we're also normal. And we want to hold those two things together. And I walked through Psalm eight a little bit, just so you could see trip. Are you crazy to hold these things so closely together? That's how scripture talks about us. How David talks about us with Kings. We have dominion, but what is man that you would even think of him? We want to hold those two things together. That's the only way we'll be able to um, be faithful to God, see ourselves as we actually are. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for speaking to us about who you are and who we are. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room uh, that you would help us uh, to live in light of who you've made us to be. God, help us to, uh, yeah, help us to find joy and satisfaction in you and in who you've called us to be. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. For more gospel-centered resources, visit thegospelcoalition.org.